Welcome to our sermon podcast here at City of Light Anglican Church. We are a new church in Aurora, Illinois, finding a new day in Jesus. We want to see the light of Jesus rise and shine in our hearts, in our homes, and in our neighborhoods. Thanks for joining us for today's message. This morning is the 12th day of Christmas. And it's one of the great things about following the liturgical year that while well, the rest of the world is finishing up their Christmas celebrations sometime around Jan- uh, December 26th, that we just get to keep going for another two weeks. So that's really just what I want to do this morning is to continue to unwrap together this morning the gift of the incarnation and to spend some time studying in Matthew 2 and to learn from there um, what these 12 days of celebration are really all about. But before that, uh, would you pray with me? Father, we come to you this morning and we desire to hear from your word. Pray that the name and the kingship of Jesus would be exalted in our midst this morning. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing to you. Amen. So the story we read this morning is a tale of two kingdoms. Or better yet, it's the tale of two kings and the kingdoms over which they reign. Our passage begins in verse 1 by telling us that the Magi came to visit Jesus during the reign of King Herod. And this detail is the backdrop for the whole story. See, for Matthew, Herod represents everything that is going wrong in Israel. If we could sum up the plight of the Jewish people at this time, what what they suffer from, what they're longing to be delivered from, we could do no better than just simply point to King Herod as Exhibit A. Herod was this puppet king who who was reigning over the Jewish people at the time, and he, he wasn't a Jew by birth, Um, but he had actually been appointed as king of the Jews by the Roman Senate. And he had gained all of his power and wealth by aiding in the Roman occupation and oppression of the Jewish people. And we know, of anything that we know from Herod, is that he was an evil king. He was a cruel and brutal man who cared only about preserving and advancing his own power at the expense of his people. During his reign, he ordered the execution of his own wife and sons. He amassed massive personal wealth at the expense of the poor in the land. And as we heard this morning, he ordered the death execution of every child under the age of two in the region of Bethlehem, just to protect against a potential threat to his throne. So for the Jewish people, Herod was this living symbol that although they had returned from exile in Babylon, they had returned to their homes in the land of Judea, they were still living as exiles. They were still living under the reign of a king who is not their own. A king who, as long as he reigned over them, would keep them living as exiles in their own land. So that's the backdrop for the story of the visit of the Magi, the people of Israel, the children of Abraham and heirs to all the promises of God 
living under the reign of a false king. So this is the first point that Matthew wants to make in this passage, that in the birth of Jesus, the true king of Israel has come. The long-awaited king, the long-awaited Messiah has arrived. I remember when Charlotte was pregnant with Talia and we were approaching her due date and it was like every little movement that Talia would make would send us into this frenzy. Get dressed, start the car, call the doctor, get the hospital bag ready. Is the hospital bag ready? We were just, we were so ready. We had been waiting so long. And this is the sort of anticipation that had built up for centuries in the Jewish people over the promised Messiah. They couldn't wait for the arrival of their king. And in this story, he's finally, finally come. Notice in verse two, Imagine I've come to Jerusalem and they're asking before all the people, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? And that question, they're illustrating for us what Matthew wants us to understand from this story, that there is a true king of the Jews. And it's not Herod, but Jesus. So let me show you what I mean. Take a look at verse three in your Bibles with me. Matthew establishes the kingship of Jesus in two ways. Text says, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied. For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, O by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So the first thing that Matthew does in this passage here is he draws our attention to a quote, to a prophecy from the prophet Micah. And this quote is addressed to the nation of Judah before that they go into exile. And so the people on the verge of their exile, God says to them, he proclaims a promise that this exile will not last forever, but that God is going to send a new king to Israel who will deliver them from their bondage. And this king will be born in Bethlehem. And Bethlehem held a powerful place in the imaginations of the Jewish people because it had been the birthplace of another king, the first great king of Israel, chosen and anointed by God. Bethlehem was the birthplace of King David, the place where he grew up and shepherded his father's flock, and finally the place where he was anointed and chosen by God. And Micah, in this place, tells us that Bethlehem will be the birthplace of another great king, even greater than David, a king who will be chosen and anointed by God to restore Israel and to fulfill its mission to be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. So Micah goes on to say of this king in Micah 5.4 that he will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely 
for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. So the first thing that Matthew does in this passage is to show through the visit of these three travelers from the east that Micah's prophecy is being fulfilled before our eyes. That Jesus is the promised king who will deliver his people from exile and through them bless all the nations of the world. But then Matthew goes on to show us exactly what this blessing will look like. So take a look at verse nine. After they had heard the king, they went on their way and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So upon seeing Jesus, the Magi present him with gifts. And each of these gifts is like a flashing light illuminating for us what kind of blessing Jesus is going to bring. First, gold. Gold is a symbol of royalty. It names the kingship of Jesus, that in Jesus, the kingdom of God has arrived, that God has appointed Jesus to rule over Israel and to sit on the throne of his father, David, that in Jesus, God is establishing a new world order, a new government, not like King Herod, not like Babylon or Assyria or Rome, but a kingdom where God himself will reign and he will reign with justice and bring peace to all the nations. And second, frankincense. You know from Exodus 30 that frankincense was the only kind of incense allowed on the altar in the temple. And it's a priestly symbol, a symbol of God's presence in the Holy of Holies. It identifies Jesus as nothing less than the embodied presence of God in our midst. That Jesus is Emmanuel. God with us, that God hasn't abandoned us. He's not distant or far off or aloof to our concerns, but he's come near to us, that he's become one of us so that he might be close to us, that he might have relationship with us. And then lastly, myrrh. And this may be the most surprising of all the gifts. Myrrh was a perfume used in the process of the embalming, a dead body. And we know from John 19 that it was used at Jesus' own burial the night of his crucifixion. It's a symbol of the sacrificial death of Jesus, of his identity as the Lamb of God who would be slain for the sins of the whole world of forgiveness that Jesus purchased on the cross. It's a symbol of the love and mercy of God that are so deep, so vast, so unconditional that he won't leave us in our sins. He won't leave us to reap the consequences when we turn from him. And he won't allow the damage that we've done to have the final word. He's the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So each of these gifts is a window into the future of this child and a glimpse into all that he would come to do. And then mirrored in each of these gifts of the Magi 
we see the gifts of God for us in Jesus Christ. So Jesus is the true king. He's the true king of Israel, and as the Magistite illustrate for us, his kingship brings blessings for the whole world. So if that's all that anyone remembers from what I say this morning, I'll, I'll be pretty happy with that. I'll have done my job. Um, but I hope that we won't miss what this fact could actually mean for us this morning. See, it's, it's really easy for us to acknowledge the lordship of Jesus with our lips and yet turn and still put our trust in other kings. It's easy for us to proclaim that Jesus is the Christ and he's been born and yet still live as exiles. Now, just as in the time of the birth of Jesus, there are many false kings who still want to claim our trust. And I think that the beginning of the new year is as good a time as any for us to re-examine our lives in light of the kingdom of God. So this is a time of year when we look back on what our lives have looked like through this past year, the successes and failures, hopes, disappointments, and we look forward to how we hope the year will look ahead of us. We have aspirations, we set goals, we make plans. Some of us make lists of resolutions. And then all those things are very natural things to do. But it can be so easy for us in looking forward to what we'll do differently or we'll build on or work toward to anchor all of our hope put all of our trust in those things, believing that they will lead to a better life. So the poet Christian Wyman published a poem in January last year. It was called, All My Friends Are Finding New Beliefs. And in that poem, he describes the way in which we so easily slip into this mentality. All my friends are finding new beliefs, he writes. This one converts to Catholicism and this one to trees. Paleo, keto, zone, South Beach, bourbon, exercise regimen so extreme she merges with machine. Priesthoods and beasthoods, sombers and glees, high-styled renunciations and avocations of dirt, sobrieties, satieties, pilgrimages to the very bowels of being. All my friends are finding new beliefs, and I'm finding it harder and harder to keep track of the new gods and the new loves and the old gods and the old loves. And this poem, I think, just captures the way in which we're lured into believing that something other than life in the kingdom of God will give us peace. And whether it's a family or a career or a diet or a self-care plan or a social agenda or a political candidate or even breaking a bad habit or picking up a spiritual discipline, anything that we place our ultimate trust in other than Jesus himself, will quickly become a false king. And if there's anything that this passage this morning teaches us about false kings, it's that they can't be trusted. Any king other than the Lord Jesus, who you entrust yourself to, will ultimately eat you alive. Herod's kingdom was a dangerous kingdom a kingdom where no one was ultimately safe. It was a kingdom in which no one could rest easy, knowing that their lives were in the hand of someone whose continued reign could only mean their ultimate destruction. In a sense, 
most of the false kings that we still entrust ourselves to aren't exactly like Herod. They don't, most of them don't put our lives in immediate danger. But in another sense, they're very much like Herod. They make the same total claims to our allegiance. They demand that we anchor our hopes for our life and their ability to deliver us. And ultimately, they lead to a life of fear, life of anxiety and insecurity, in which none of these false kings can ultimately deliver on what they promise. This is why the reality of Jesus as the true king of the world is so vitally important. Because entrusting ourselves to Jesus as our king opens up a new way of life for us. Because Jesus is the true king of the world, we're set free to live in the peace of the kingdom of God. Our psalm this morning just paints a beautiful picture of what it looks like to live within the kingdom. Verse three says, even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may have her young, a place near your altar, Lord Almighty, my King and my God. Do you hear the contrast between these two kingdoms? In the kingdom of Herod, Rachel weeps for her children and every mother lives in fear for the life of her son. And in the kingdom of God, even the swallow finds a nest where she may have her young. The reign of Herod brings fear, and the reign of Christ brings peace. Herod is a king who will sacrifice his people for his own sake, and Jesus is a king who will sacrifice himself for the sake of his people. The psalm goes on. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. It's the heart of what it means that Jesus is the true king of the world, that right in the midst of Herod's kingdom, a new kingdom is breaking in. A new life is bursting forth. A new people are living under the reign of a new king. In the dry desert valley, they become a spring that brings life. Their strength is in the Lord, their king. And that strength carries them, energizes them, preserves them, and overflows out of them. They live in the desert valley, and they make it a spring. They live in the kingdom of Herod and they make it the kingdom of Christ. So if you're here this morning and you're feeling the weight of beginning another year and trusting yourself to a false king, and the good news for you this morning is that a new kingdom, the kingdom of God, has arrived in Jesus and is available to you now. There's a new life, a new day that's available to you when you live under the gracious reign of Jesus. Psalm 84 ends with this simple affirmation. Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. And this is the call of Jesus 
to each of us who find ourselves returning again and again to false kings. Come and trust in me as your king. Come and know the peace and the safety of life within my kingdom. So the beginning of the year is as good a time as any for each of us to re-examine our lives in light of the kingdom of God. Do we trust in Jesus as our king? Or have we entrusted ourselves to another? It's perhaps a good exercise this week, instead of or in addition to making any list of resolutions that we might make, is to resolve to live this year under the gracious reign of Jesus. And to ask Jesus to identify any false kings that we've entrusted ourselves to. And my prayer for us this morning, this year, is that we might know the freedom of life delivered from the false promises of false kings. That we'd be able to say with the psalmist, Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Thanks for listening to this podcast from City of Light Anglican Church. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us online at cityoflightanglican.org. And now, may the light of Jesus scatter the darkness from before your path.